We're finishing up a series called Selfie, but what I want you to know is this season that we're coming into, this time of year that we're coming into, let's just say it together, it's a great opportunity to reach out to someone. Say that with me. That's right. There's three times a year when people that are unchurched or far from Jesus um, are interested or would even dare cross the threshold oftentimes, and that's Easter, Christmas, and Mother's Day. Right. And I'm convinced that Mother's Day is just the guilt trip day. So that's kind of like, you know, if you love me, I'm your mother. You go to church. So I always tell you, work that, ladies. If you got that angle, work it. But Christmas is a great opportunity to reach out to someone. We're going to do a Christmas series and we have a Christmas Eve candle lighting service that you can invite your friends to. Uh, We're doing the family pictures again on December 7th. That's again a great holiday portraits this Sunday. These are great opportunities for you to reach out and invite someone. And people often say, well, what do I do? How do I do it? Well, who invited you and how did they do it? What brought you to Jesus? How did you connect to church? What, what was that? How did someone approach you or what, what, what was that transition point for you? And really, what, whatever that transition point was for you is more than likely the tool that you can use to help other people transist and help other people um, come to know him as well. So I just want to encourage you with that. Jesus wants us on mission, and he wants us reaching people um, and all the good stuff. And this is a great, great, great season. Use your Facebook. Use your social media. You know, jump on all that. Um, speaking of social media, this series is called Selfie. And it's the idea, and uh, in case you don't know what a selfie is, it's a picture with a camera phone. You get a picture of you, a new you, my new haircut, my new friend, my new restaurant, you know, whatever it is. And so God has a desire for a new life. He has a desire for you to come into a new way of living. And so this series, what we framed it around, we framed around this idea called pillars. Okay, so you say, what's a pillar? Well, we would call them columns. So as we look through the building, we have all these columns. And can anyone tell me what the columns are doing? They're holding up the higher level. Okay, so there are pillars. God has a higher level for our life. He has a next level. We have something greater for us. But in order for Christians to reach purpose and destiny and walk into the things God has for them, there have to be pillars established because the higher level sets upon something. And what happens a lot of times, people get vision, people get purpose, people get direction, or they just even uh, have a walk with the Lord. And what completely sort of hijacks it or blows it up is when, there's no, when the pillars are not established or the pillars are not in place or there's no rhythm, if you will, of these, of these things because nothing's perfect. But what are those pillars? The first pillar is dependency. Dependency, that we are dependent upon the Lord. And if you're here this morning and you're like really into vision and really into purpose, um, which you should be, you should be into vision, you should be into purpose, uh, God's people are to be a kingdom of visionaries and dreamers. If you didn't know that, that's actually the prophetic word of uh, Joel. That's actually the prophecy of Acts. Young men will see dream dreams. Old men will see visions. Dreamers and visions is to be the mark of the believer. It's to be the mark of one of the marks of our lives. Young and old, near and far, it's for all of us. Dreams, visions, and purposes only come about through dependency upon Jesus. This is why the scripture is very clear on this. It tells us that in him we live, move, and have our being. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's this requirement of dependency upon the Lord in order for things to come to pass. And without this dependency and this integrate or this relationship, and it's all about relationship where we're dependent upon him, uh, it's not possible. This is what sort of causes these things to erode or these things never to come to pass. Another area is a lack of integrity. 
And we talked about integrity, integrity in our, in our faith, integrity in, our, in the way that we live, integrity with the words that we say. Integrity, when a ship has integrity, it means everything is sealed and the ship can float. What a lack of integrity is, is holes, areas that allow things to come in and sink the marriage, areas that allow things to come in and sink the business, areas that, allow that, are, that come in and sink the, the faith and sink the friendship and sink whatever it may be. So we talked about integrity. That's another one. And just so you know, let's just get this out of the way because integrity, in my experience, is always a painful one because we're talking about God's standard. God's standard um, uh, is, not, is something we strive towards but we can never actually meet, but our lives are be directed that way. So let's just get this out of the way. Let's just say this. Following Jesus is about direction, not perfection. It's not the perfection in your life, it's the direction in which you're headed. We all have falling shorts, as Hank pointed out to me um, at his house the other day. I quoted the verse, uh, um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and I said, so what's that mean? All of us have falling shorts. There, every one of us in the room, you have areas of your life where there's some falling shorts. So it's not an issue of whether you got some areas in your life that you need help with. The issue is, is are you moving those areas into the gospel? Are you moving those areas uh, into following Christ? So that's what it's all about. So we have dependency, we have integrity, we have community. So last week we talked about healthy relationships. This is another one that causes the vision to fall apart. This is another one that causes the purposes of God to fail. We need each other. And your vision is only possible when another person is walking in their vision. That's, that's, we see that dynamic with the church across the board. But it means healthy relationship with God, healthy relationship with ourselves. And that right there, you know, we kind of get the whole God component, but we miss oftentimes the relationship with ourselves. You say, well, what does that mean? Jesus said, love, love, love the, your neighbor as yourself. And the reason that we don't love our neighbor, the ways we mistreat people, is because we ourselves are hurting. Hurt people hurt people, and hurt people are easily hurt. And so what you have to do, and this is what just, just disintegrates people's lives, is not just a lack of integrity, but a lack of emotional health and a lack of a relational health, not just with the Lord, but with ourselves. You have to deal with your junk. You have to be brutal about dealing with your junk. And guess what? Most of your junk you don't see. It's very obvious to everyone else, but we're completely blind to our junk. And so we have to have trustworthy people in our lives, and it's just areas like that. And we need to be a safe place, and we need to help each other deal with each other's junk. And we all got junk. So we need that healthy relationship with ourselves, and then we need to have healthy relationships with one another. And so today we're going to talk about competency. So that's just a little track down what we've been talking about. In case you don't know... Well, I'll just back up a little bit. Competency and excellence. These two words are often used together to be competent, to be excellent. They're often used together. But what we have to understand as Christians is that you were created to produce. You're created to produce. No, I was created to sit. No, you were created to produce. You're created to produce. The book of Acts, not the book of sitting. Okay? The book of action. We have the Gospels followed by the book of action. This is the message that the people received. These are the actions that they did. Okay? So it's an action-packed thing. It's not a spectator sport. We're created to produce. We are God's handiwork, Ephesians 2, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared for you to do in advance. Let's just say this together. I am created on purpose with a purpose. I am not junk, and I am not an accident. You were created on purpose with a purpose. Jesus has created you to produce. We're created to bear fruit. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Live in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. This is how the Father is glorified when we bear fruit, when we produce. 
produce what? The kingdom culture. We produce the destiny of God, the message of God. We do the mission of God. All of these things in every area of our life, this is what we produce. There's a story in Luke, and just so you understand, Jesus expects production. I just want to let you know that. If you don't know that, you should go and Google the parable of the talents and read it. He invested, he gave, he trusted, and he expected, expected a return. He expected them to produce what they gave. And we were having lunch the other day, and I was telling the story of a guy that I knew a while back ago. He moved away when he was here for a season. Comes from a very, um, he came from a background that was very, his whole family and his whole upbringing was integrated with the gospel and serving Jesus in lots of really powerful ways. And he was around that. So he knew a lot of things just by simply being in the room. And while he was here, I kept hearing the Lord tell me, tell him to do these things. Tell him you want, you want him to do this. And so I would go up to him and tell him, like, hey, man, I think you should do this. This is an area where, you know, it's really good for you and all this stuff. And he would go, I'm not your guy, Kevin. I'm not your guy. He'd walk around. I always remember because he always had a coffee in his hand. He'd walk, a real social guy. But he'd be like, I'm not your guy, man. I'm not your guy. And so I would, we had this conversation all the time. And I would go back to the Lord because he would keep burdening my heart. And I would go back to the Lord and go, he told me he's not the guy. And so the Lord's like, okay, I hear that. So you go and tell him this. And so God gave me this like amazing thing. So we have breakfast one morning and I'm there and I'm pitching him. It was this project that we had the opportunity to do in Haiti. And he was very, um, very well versed in missions and missions project. He was raised in the mission field in, in a very powerful way. And so he didn't want to do it. And so I sat down with him and um, I go, uh, so are you going to do this? You know, and he's like, I told you, man, I'm not your guy. And I said to him, I said, you know what? I told that to Jesus. I said, Lord, he told me you're not a guy. And I said, this is what the Lord says to you. He says, he wants to know, and he wants you to pick a day. He wants you to pick a day. It can be next week. It can be next year. It can be three years from now. It can be 10 years from now. He doesn't care, but he wants you to pick a day. Because he wants to know when he's going to get a return on his investment. Wow. That's what he wants to know. Jesus is like, you tell him to pick a day. And you tell him when he's going to give back to me what I've invested in him. We're not just accountable. The parable of the talents tells us that we're not just accountable for what's entrusted to us. We're accountable for the potential of what was entrusted to us. Come on. I'm with you, man. Yeah. So the man who buried the talent in the, in the earth, he was accountable. He should, God, Jesus told him, you should have at least entrusted it to the stewards, meaning you should have at least invested in my church. That's what he's saying. The church is the minimum standard for all discipleship. So our service, our sacrifice, our giving, our generosity, all things relate to the church first. This is the minimum standard. This guy didn't even do that. And so Jesus said, if you would at least entrusted it with the stewards, we wouldn't be having this conversation because that's the baseline. And he didn't do it. And so Jesus held him accountable for the potential of what was lost. And he said, I was afraid. That's not an excuse. Fear is not an excuse with Jesus. He just, he doesn't accept that as an excuse. Why? Because he's given us the Holy Spirit, right? We have a lion inside of us. We have the courageous one. We have the one who defeats hell in the grave with both hands tied behind his back. Right? Yeah. It's not an excuse. Cowardly have no purpose in the kingdom. And that doesn't mean that we have it figured out. This is a key dynamic. That he calls you to something and all he's asking you to do is to be willing. That's all he's asking you to do. And to be courageous in the willingness. Anybody watch Lord of the Rings? I mean, I'm flashing back to some old movies, but Hobbit's coming out soon. So, But the first movie, Lord of the Rings, they're debating what to do with the ring, right? They don't know what to do with the ring. Do we destroy the ring? Do we keep the ring? What do we do with the ring? We don't know. And so finally they come to the decision uh, that that needs to go to Mordor, to the place where it was forged. 
and no one wants to take the ring, and it goes into this whole big thing, but this is what needs to be done. It's messy work, it's dirty work, it's thankless work, it's, it's all of this. And out of nowhere, Frodo says, I'll take the ring to Mordor. But he says something really key. Anybody know what he says after that? I do not know the way. That's what Jesus is looking for. Will you take the ring? Will you advance? It doesn't matter if you know the way. He'll lead you. He'll guide you. What he's asking, he's not asking you to figure it out. It's, that's not what he's asking you to do. He didn't need you to figure it out. He's just saying, will you do it? That's the question. And everything he asks you to do is an honor to you. As believers, we must have this perspective. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that whatever he asks of us is an honor to us. He does not ask you anything that is a burden to you. He doesn't want anything from you. He wants everything for you. It is never about, it is never about him. It's always about us, what he's doing in our lives. He says, read your Bible. It's about him. Learn my language. Pray. Commit, connect. All that stuff is related to him or to, to him benefiting our lives. And so whatever he asks us to do is not a burden. You know, oh, I got to come to church. No, you get to. As I tell my son every morning, do I have to go to church today? Yes, you do. Yes, no, no, you don't have to. You get to. I try to get him to understand this is an honor. You are, you are being invited into the presence of the king. This, this isn't something you have to do. This is something you get to do. And we should run. We should go, I want his presence. I need his presence. As the deer pants for the water, I, have to be, I want to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. He tells us with the money. You get griping and complaining because you have to give an offering. Jesus says, keep your money. You gripe and complain because you get the benefit of his presence. He says, stay home. You know, that's just how he is. I'm just telling you how he is, you know. He invites you to something, and if we don't recognize it as an honor, we will not reap the benefit of it. We receive, let's just say this together, I have access to what I honor. It's a principle of the kingdom. What you honor, you have access to. You honor the Lord, you have access to him. You honor him with offering, you honor him with time, you honor him with your life, you have access to him. You don't honor him, you don't have access to him. That's just how it works. That's why Christians say, oh, I don't expect, where, where's, the, where's the lack of honor towards him? If you will honor him, you will see that he will bless you. If you will honor him, you will see that you have access to him. The issue is that you're not, there's some area where there's a disconnect of honor. This is completely not in my notes, but I don't know, this is for somebody out here. I don't know who. Just say, I need this. Okay. There you go. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, so Jesus expects a return. He says, for three years now, I've been coming back to this tree expecting a return, and nothing is produced. This tree looks good. It blows in the wind. It's dazzling, but there's never any fruit on this tree. I want to cut it down. And he says, why are we using up the soil? King James says, why burden the ground? Why are we burdening the ground with this unfruitful tree? Remove it. Make way for someone else or something else that will produce fruit. That's what he's saying. And the vine dresser said, just give me another year. Let me fertilize the tree. Let me cut around it. Let me water it. Let me change it. Let me shift it around a little bit. And let's, pack some, let's put some more into it. And if it doesn't produce in a year, then we can remove it. The moral of the story is, is we're not to burden the ground. We're to produce. We're to produce. And again, you don't have it figured out. That's okay. So we just go to Jesus and our dependency and we go, Lord, what is it that you want from me? What is it that you want from me? Okay, basics. Okay, great. But what is it that you want from doing the basics? Now what? Now what is it that you want from me? We are to produce. I want my life to matter. I want to produce for you. 
That's the idea. And then you just begin to work it out, work it out, work out your own salvation. There's another verse for you. For it is the Lord who works in you, willing and doing. Again, it's that whole relationship aspect. But today we're going to talk about excellence. Perfect. Anybody know who Vince Lombardi is? Yeah? KB knows who Tom Brady is, but uh, he's, a, he's a Patriots fan, but that's okay. We, we, we forgive him. There's grace in the house here. <laughs> KB's like, uh-huh. Anyway, sorry. Vince Lombardi was uh, the football co The um, Super Bowl trophy is named after Vince Lombardi. It's called Lombardi Trophy. He says this. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we will catch excellence. The idea is to chase perfection in order to catch excellence. Anybody not know who Steve Jobs is or was? Anybody? No? Okay. Yeah, nobody? Everybody does? All right, so he says this. We do not get the chance to do many things, but we all are given life. So in life, we should live with excellence. We should live with excellence. You got one life. Excellence is about being the best you can be in the context of every area of your life. Being the best you can be for the kingdom, being the best you can be in your family, being the best you can be in your faith, in your friendships, in your future, being the best you can be. That's what excellence looks like. It's above the standard. So we have this word competent, where we get competition from. Competent means equal to the task. So if you watch a, a, a sports or an athletic competition and it's pretty equal and somebody barely wins, we say, oh, that was a competitive game. Or that other team competed well. It means they were equal to the task. So we're to be competent. We're to excel, which means we live above the normal standard. If, if everything is average, we're to be above average, right? We are to live by the higher standard. This is how our light shines in the world. Let your light so shine. How do we do that? Well, one of the ways is by living with excellence, showing up to work on time, right? Blessing people, serving people, working on these things. We're to live above the standard. So what are our motives? Let's just talk about motivation for a second. What are my motives for being competent? What are my motives for living excellency? Well, number one is the glory and the fame of Jesus. That's what it's all about, man. And I can't say that without a smile. <laughs> Let's just say it together. Always, Always. only, Always. Jesus. The glory of God and the fame of Jesus. First Corinthians says, so whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Come on, whatever you do. So our motive is for the glory and the fame of Jesus. Our motive is for the common good. We are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the cities on the hill. So what is he saying? We are to create a culture within the culture. And that culture that we're creating, we are to create the kingdom culture within the culture in which we live. And that, because the kingdom always brings goodness. And so our motive for being excellent, our motive for being competent is we create the common good. 1 Corinthians 10.33 says, I'm, not, I'm trying to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good, but let's just say this together, but the good of many. Let's say that again, for the good of many. Everything we do is for the good of many. So Paul's saying, what I do and why I serve and what we do is for the good of many. Your life is not about you. It's not about you. It's about for the good of many. This is the gospel. This is the way it is. We're servants. We're bringers of the kingdom. One-way ride, this is another motivation to live excellently. It's a one-way ride. This means you only get one round on this merry-go-round. And those of us that are past a certain age realize, whoa, you know, I can't go back. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might or do it with excellence. For when you're dead, the work's going to cease. It's going to come a time where we don't have this opportunity. 
There's going to come a time when we don't have the, these things that are placed in front of us like we do now. It's a one-way ride. I tell myself that all the time. It's a one-way ride, Kevin. No going back. One-way ride. Live well. Carpe diem, however you want to say it. Number four is we're going to account. Jesus expects from our lives. He wants to produce. And so what does this say? Okay, we all will appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that we may receive the reward that is due while we were alive, whether good or bad. So there's two, just to give you an understanding of what this looks like, there's two judgment seats in the scripture. We have a white throne judgment, and we have another thing called the rainbow throne, or the bema seat, as it's called. The white throne judgment is where the non-Christian goes. Those who've rejected Christ, those who've denied Christ and fully said, I don't need this, or whatever it may be, they stand before a throne called the white judgment, and it is the seat of authority and the indictment and the charges and their sins, and they will answer and account for every single one of their sins. That's how, that's the, that is not the believer. We do not go before that throne. We go through a seat of reward. It's called a bema seat. And so when we die, we stand before the Lord, and what the Lord is doing is he's looking at your life, and he's saying, let's look at your life, and let's find the areas and the things in your life that I can bless you with eternally. That's the idea. He's searching and looking at you when we stand before him. Where have you lived that I can reward you? Where have you honored me and lived in such a way that I can honor you? That's why the Bible says, Jesus says, no one does business with God and breaks even. You don't give up anything for me that will not be, you will not be rewarded in this life and in the next. He tells us if you honor a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. He tells us if you bring a child to him in his name, you are rewarded. If he tells him if you bring a prophet, a, gold, a cup of cold water, you're rewarded. What's he trying to say? He's trying to say it's that easy. It's really easy. Just live for me. Commit to me. And so what does this look like? So I just want to share this with you just real quick, just this idea. And it talks about us. And this is, a kick, this is the dynamic of standing before the Lord as a Christian. 1 Corinthians 3 says, Anyone who builds on a foundation may use a variety of materials. Jesus has given you the ability to follow him. And we choose what we're going to build with. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on that judgment day, when we stand before him, fire will reveal what kind of life we have. The fire will show our, person, our work as if it has any value. If our work survives, then that builder receives the reward. So our life will be examined. And our, what we have done for Christ and how we have lived for Christ and our heart that has strived for, for, to follow him will be rewarded. But if the work is burned up, the builder's going to suffer loss, or the person's life's going to suffer loss, but the builder will be saved. Do we see that? Yeah. You see that? So what it's saying is they don't, you don't lose your salvation, you just are not rewarded. So you can live in a carnal way. It can be all about you. The only thing you're going to carry into the afterlife is everything you've done for Jesus, in word and in deed. Everything you've honored in his house, everything you've honored in his ways, all of those things, your house, he doesn't, your car collection is not going to make it into the kingdom. Your houses are not going to make it into the kingdom. Your stock portfolio is not going to make it into the kingdom. Your shell collection is not going to make it into the kingdom. And so the question is, is how are we living our life and through what lens are we focused on? You say, I'm in a business world. Yeah, but be a business leader that, that functions and brings the kingdom culture into the business world. Use your business to propagate the gospel and fund it. Use your business to create common good. Use your business that way. Then it's rewarded. Well, am I, it's all about my family. It should, okay, that's fine. We can go there too. Your family needs to serve the gospel together. 
We're going to follow this Jesus' way. We're going to work on it. We're going to try. We're not going to get it right. But hey, we're going to do this. We're going to apologize. Dad, why are you saying you're sorry? Because Jesus told me to say I'm sorry. You know? Why are we going to church? Because Jesus wants us to go to church. I mean, whatever, whatever it looks like. Why do we do these things as a family? Why do you, Dad, don't, don't you think you could work all, why are you not working all Saturdays anymore? Because the Lord wants me to prioritize my family and spend time with my kids. And you relate the gospel back to your family in that way. And then you're honoring him with your family. You're honoring him with your time. There's a thousand things you could do, but Jesus goes at the top. When in doubt, honor God. This is how we honor him with the things that he's given to us, and this is how he rewards us in light of what he has given to us. Whatever he's given to us, we honor him with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes? Okay, good. Thank you. What does excellence require? To live a life of excellence, to live a life that's above the standard, it requires humility. Let's just say this together, because humility is a wonderful thing. Humility <laughs> is the ability to endure difficult people places and things and the problem is is that we're easily offended this is why we break relationship this is why we break covenant this is one of the reasons why destiny is held off course is because we're easily easily offended and we're easily offended because we overvalue our own contribution we think i've made this place if it wasn't for me this place would be nothing really <laughs> i've made this place so we overvalue our own contribution, we undervalue the leader, and we undervalue the, the environment that has been given to us that enables success. That's our problem, and so we get offended. We're not promoted like we should. We're not looked at like we should. We're not all those things like we should. But I can tell you what is should is Jesus is watching you. He's watching you. And here's the question. What if your next level was found in helping someone else reach theirs? What if the next level for your life was directly related to you helping someone else reach theirs? What if that was possible? What if it wasn't all about you? What if it was about adding value, lifting other people to the next level? And what if your next level was found in that? I'm just saying. Whether you're recognized or not, whether you're noticed or not, whether anything else is not, heaven will see that. And that is exactly what Jesus rewards. He rewards that. He doesn't reward the one that wants the credit, wants the glory. Jesus gets the glory. And it is our glory to give him the glory. It's all about him, man. Come on, yeah. <laughs> I'm just happy to be in the room. <laughs> so what if that was the case? Anybody know who Harvey Firestone is? Anybody know who he is? Tires, right, so here's the deal. What I want to show you is, is that everyone great served another. Harvey Firestone served Henry Ford. Before that, Henry Ford served Thomas Edison. Before that, Thomas Edison served a guy named Franklin Pope, who helped the telegraph and one of the guys who was an intricate in AT&T and these different areas. But what I want you to see is that they served someone greater than themselves. They involved themselves. And even when the time came, because of their humility and their service one to the other, Henry Ford and Thomas Edison's relationship was so integrated that when Thomas Edison died, um, Henry Ford is said to have put a glass vial under his mouth to take his last breath because he loved the guys that much. They served each other. They helped each other. They learned from each other. And they all went on to greatness. Why? Because they helped the other reach another level. Right? They helped another reach another level. That's what it's all about. 
Luke says this. Jesus says, if you have not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own? You've not been faithful in serving someone else. How will anyone entrust it to you? If you've not learned to serve, you cannot lead. You cannot lead. All leadership is is a higher level of servitude. And so if you got ego at the low level, God will not bring you to the higher level because he's not going to manifest your ego. Servitude in the kingdom, all, all leadership is is a higher level of servitude. That's, that's really what it is. And so you want a higher level of servitude than learn to serve from where you are. That's the idea. He has no problem exalting you. He's dealing with your pride. Why is God hitting my pride? Why do I have to be in an environment where no one appreciates me? Why do I have to be in an environment where no one notices me? Because he's dealing with your pride. Why? Because the Lord resists the proud. But what is his heart's desire? To exalt the humble. So you see why he wants humility. He wants humility not because he glories in seeing you humble. He wants humility because that's the only way he can exalt you. That's the only way he can lift you up. And so that's why he's working to drive humility into our lives in order for that to happen. Somebody says it takes 10 years to work out the ego, to get the ego out of somebody. If you look at marriage statistics, marriages that make it past the 10-year mark usually don't divorce. Why? Because in 10 years, husbands had the ego knocked out of him. Okay? And all the guys are like, you got that right, man. Whoa. <laughs> Wheelchairs, you know. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Oh, no, yeah, right. <laughs> Not always. But it takes 10 years for the wife to get the ego out of her and everything to kind of mesh together. And so that's the idea. So excellence requires humility. Excellence requires servitude. Excellence requires that you sharpen your skills and adapt. This is cool. This is really critical, too. If you want to go to the next level and you want to raise the next level, you have to ask yourself, what skill set is required for me to go to that level? And what does that look like? What, how about parenting? What skill set is required for this next level of raising this child? And if you don't know anything about kids, they are raised in stages. Five-year-old, what you did with a five-year-old doesn't work as a 12-year-old. What you do as a 12-year-old does not work as a teenager. What you do as a teenager does not work when they're 20. None of that stuff. You have to acquire skills in order for that next level or that next stage. And a lot of people don't acquire the skills or don't even have any interest in the skills. If it was that easy. <laughs> but what, skills, what skill set is required for you in the next level of your relationship? You want whatever relationship you may have. You know, I want this relationship to go to another level. What skill set do you need? Do you need to learn better communication skills? Do you need to learn better servitude? What skill set is required for you to go? How about finances? What skill set is required for you to go to the next level in your finances? Oftentimes, that's an issue of faithfulness. People want to be blessed financially. I said, are you faithful with what he's already given you? If you're not faithful with what he's already given you, he's not going to bless you with more. If you're not, and I'll quote you the verse, if you're not faithful with little, you will not be entrusted with much. But if you are faithful with little, you can be entrusted with much. That's the gospel. And so what skill sets are required? What skill set is required for you to go to another level in your faith? And the idea here is David. Okay, so David, the giant killer. So David and Goliath, that's the David I'm talking about. He killed Goliath. Who knows what kind of weapon he used? Anybody help me out? Sling, yes, he kills Goliath with a sling. But nowhere after that do you ever hear of David using a sling. He only used the sword. And you say, well, why? Because the sling is not the weapon of kings. That sling is not going to take David to that next level of leadership. That skill set, that acquisition, that expertise, and he was an expert, clearly, he killed a dude with a, with a slingshot or with a sling. I don't think I could do that. So clearly he knew what he was doing. 
But he changed. Why did he change? Because the skill, the sling was not the weapon of kings. It was not the set that enabled him to go to the next level. He acquired something that was needed. He used something different. Knowing the story of David, if you read the story of David, you see something interesting. As you, if you follow, there's like little hints and details within the story. It tells us that there was no worker of metal in Israel at the time. And so basically, Israel was fighting its enemies with sticks and stones. Literally, that's why David had a sling. Only very rare people had swords, and if they had a sword, they had to go to their enemies because their enemies were the only ones who worked swords. So what happens in David's life, David is rejected. Okay, anybody here been rejected? Right? All right, and we've all been rejected. He's been rejected by his family, was rejected by his friends, was rejected by everyone in his life, he was rejected. The only people that welcomed him were his enemies. And so David goes and lives with his enemies for a while. Well, what does he do? He learns that they forge fire. He learns that these people know how to forge metal. So when David comes into the kingdom, immediately after you see David in the kingdom, you see metal being worked in Israel that was never there before. And so David acquired skill set, and he didn't just acquire it for himself. He brought it into a position where the whole nation could be blessed with it. So just really important thing. So the question is, is what's the skill set for the next level? What is it that you need to acquire in order to get to that, to that next level? That's what excellence looks like. Excellence looks like enthusiasm. Okay? So let's give just put a big smile on your face. Come on, smile on me. Oh, you're so beautiful. You're so handsome. Good looking people. Okay? And somebody's like, man, you know, you know no reason to smile around here. You know what life's like? You know, it's like everybody, we, if you're going to work excellently and you're going to grow and you're going to enter into another level, you have to understand what enthusiasm is. Positive attitude, giving your best effort no matter the task. What's it mean? It looks like this. The Bible says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes. Right? Yes. The gloom of the Lord is your excuse. Is that what he says? <laughs> you know, the gloom of the Lord is my excuse. You don't know. It's just really bad. You don't know. No, the joy of the Lord. Joy is not based on circumstances. Okay, and then there's another verse that I love to quote in Acts. Paul's been beaten. He's standing in front of King Agrippa in chains, rags. Guy's been in jail, and he's standing in front of a king, and the king's asking him to account for his faith. And Paul, first words out of his mouth is he says, I think myself happy. Some of you, you need to think yourself happy. I'm serious. You need to think yourself happy. You don't think, you don't know how bad it is. Think yourself happy. Count your blessings, not your misfortunes. Find something good. You have joy. Have enthusiasm. Work with a positive attitude. Give more than it's expected and exceed expectations. We worked off the story of Joseph. Joseph sold as a slave. If you don't know the story, I don't have time to go into all of it, but he was sold as a slave. He ends up working for a guy. He used to be served. Now he's serving. Then he's thrown in prison. Then he works for a king. Each person that he worked for, Joseph took it to another level. He could have complained. He could have been upset. He could have lamented his situation. And maybe he did, but we don't see that he lamented his situation to people. Let's just say this. Complaints always go up. Okay, it's important to know. All right? If you have a complaint, bring it to the Lord. He'll help you with it. Joseph took responsibility. He created solutions or created results, and he gave solutions, not problems. So as a believer, let's just say this together. Okay, this is real healthy for us because it reinforces it. Say, I am a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. In case you don't know, it doesn't take a genius to find dirt in a gold mine. Okay? 
Anybody can find problems. You're not the genius because you walk in and you can start pointing out everything that's wrong. You're no genius. The genius lies in finding the gold in the dirt. The genius lies in finding the gold in the dark. That's where the genius lies, extracting the good from that situation, extracting the good from those circumstances. There's no genius in finding out dirt. That's why it talks to us about whatever things are good, whatever things are pure, whatever things are noble. If anything is of good report, think on that. Why? Because you're no genius to find what's wrong. That's what he's saying. If you want genius, find what's right. Focus on that. That will save marriages right off the top. Some of you, you that's marital counseling 101 right there. You know, we could go home with that. He rose to the success of others by Joseph empowering and serving and benefiting. He had a godless boss, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was godless. Pharaoh didn't worship his God. Pharaoh worshiped a myriad of gods. Pharaoh worshiped all kinds of crazy things. Yet Joseph served him with his best. And God allowed that success to come to Pharaoh because Joseph enabled it. And Joseph rose with that. So it requires enthusiasm. And lastly, excellence requires learning from your mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say this. Yesterday, Yesterday ended last night. Yesterday. It's over. Play's over. Can't change the past. You can change the future. And your decisions are going to affect your future. We learn from our mistakes. Paul says this. Brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. In other words, I'm not there yet, but this is how I'm going to get there. By focusing, by forgetting what is behind me and looking forward to what is in front of me. I press. It's like it, this, it's, it's exert. I exert effort. It means like, like this exertion that, he's that this Greek word is talking about. It means to the point of pain, past the point of pain. That's what it means. That's why a lot of people don't reach the purposes of God because they, they quit at the point of pain. Oh, it's too hard. God can't be in it. It's too hard. Really? Oh, it got difficult. If, it was, if God was in it, it would have gone a lot easier. It would go a lot easier. You can understand that Jesus always calls you over your head. You're going to be fine. Why? Because the first pillar is dependency upon the Lord. He gives you situations you can't handle, right? I love it. Because like, to me, like, the greatest dynamic of what I can't handle is my marriage, right? Anybody got that one figured out? Anybody want to come and do a seminar on that? Come on up. Anybody? Anybody want to do a reality show on, on, on your marriage? <laughs> he calls you to something that's beyond you. He calls you to something you can't handle, to foster dependency upon him. Raising children's another one. He calls you to something you don't have, you don't have any clue what's going on here. And then you got a bunch of kids and all the temperaments are different. So what works with this one doesn't work with this one. And what works with this one doesn't work with this one. Because you're in over your head. And it's normal. It's normal. Because he wants you to rely upon him. I press towards the end of the race to receive the heavenly prize. I push past the point of pain. Let's just say that. Push past the point of pain. Ladies, you would never give birth if you didn't push past the point of pain. Somebody said I had an epidural. Well, and for those of you who didn't, <laughs> there was no pain. I was watching soap operas and, oh, the baby's out. Oh, look at that. Look at there. We only give birth when we push past the point of pain. So what do we do with failure? What do we do when things do not go the way we want? What do we do when our expectations are not met? What do we do when we've completely and totally blown it? What do we do? What do you do? Have a funeral. Lament it. Regret it. Cry over it. Journal it. Whatever it may take. But take a time of mourning. Mourning's healthy. 
we don't understand the principle of mourning in our culture. We immediately want to get past it. Your father dies, and two days later, they want you to go back to work. Really? Or your you know, I mean, how hard is that? It does, we don't understand. Like, scripturally, we see these periods of mourning that were 30 days. They gave them 30 days to mourn. Why? Because there's an emotional, there's some emotional investment attached to what you just lost. And so it's okay to mourn. It's not okay to stay there. Greatest story of mourning is in when Moses died. God let them mourn for 30 days. After 30 days, you know what Jesus does? He refuses to leave you stay there. What did he do? He called Joshua up and he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. It's over. Get o it's over. You've mourned it. Now get over it and move on. Some of you, that's what you need to do. You're stuck in a moment. You're revolving around something that's well over. You can't change. It's done. It's finished. There's nothing you can do about it. You need to look at that situation and go, Moses, the servant, is dead. That situation is dead. I can't change it. I can't transform it. I can't renew it. But I must arise and move on. You have to. You have to. No question, you have to. We have to. You can't. Somebody said you can't reach for tomorrow if you're, hold, or you, tomorrow if you're holding on to yesterday. You have to move on. What does that require? It requires courage and it requires risk. It's risky. But see, here's the beauty of who Jesus is. He calls us to be courageous. If you knew how highly he thought of you, and I'm sure a lot of you do, but this is just an indication of how high he thinks of you. He believes that you can be courageous because he's given you his spirit. And so he calls us to be courageous. He calls us not to just be courageous, but to risk. Go again, Kevin. Go again. I had some really bad situations in my life, not to get on my whole existence, but I've had a lot of disappointments, a lot of failures, a lot of people misuse me, a lot of people abuse me. I've had all of these different things. Um, and part of the purpose is, is because I can't share anything with you that I myself have not experienced or at least have had a taste of. And some of you have probably experienced worse life scenarios than, than, than us. Some of you have experienced greater. But nonetheless, I was in a circumstance and I was in a situation and I was talking to someone and I just didn't want to do ministry anymore. I was done before I even started. Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Maybe not with ministry, but you're done before you even start. You don't want to do it anymore. You're just done. And I had a guy look at me and say um, something to this effect. He said, you know, you know, that was really bad that happened to you, you know, and that was wrong. But he said, um, somewhere along the line, Kevin, you've got to regain the courage to lead. Somewhere in this process, you have to regain the courage to lead. You have to find the day or find the hour or find the moment or struggle through to find the courage to get up and go again. 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 Learn from your mistakes. Learn what didn't work. Repli apply it the next. Apply it again. Was it Edison? He said that the uh, the knowledge of today is not sufficient to meet the problems of tomorrow. Stupidity is in doing the same thing over and over again and expecting the same results. So one of the definitions of foolishness is not learning from your mistakes. But we're to learn from our mistakes and we're to grow and we're to move forward and we're to go on. So if you've had failure and you've had disappointment and we all have. Have a funeral. Our problem in our culture, and I see this even with myself, right? Our problem is like we look at our television and we watch the stories that are being told to us and we go, my family doesn't look like that. You know, I don't have, you know, we, we, we judge and mirror our lives off of some ideal that we see presented to us when that's really not true life that's presented to us. We all have disappointments, we all have failures, we all have setbacks. Life's not golden all the time, but we have Jesus, and that is everything. We are the people who have the glorious gospel. We have the answer. 
We have Christ, the one who will never leave us, the one who will never forsake us, the one if we seek him, we'll find him, and he'll bless us. That's who we have, the one who will teach us and lead us and guide us and develop us. We're not orphans, the Bible says. We're not left alone. We have, and so we can gather the courage and we can gather the strength and we can move on. Let's just say this together. My better days in the name of Jesus are ahead of me. And let me just say this to you. The suffering of this present time shall in no way compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. Whatever you've been through is not going to compare to the goodness that God has for you in the future. You believe that? Yes, come on. <laughs> so we'll close right here. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, and you don't know about this whole Jesus thing, and you're just kind of here checking it out, observing it, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to give you an opportunity to do something. I want to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus into your heart. I want to give you an opportunity to leave the past behind. I want to give you an opportunity to step into a new life. You say, I don't know how to do it. Well, we're going to pray together as a group. And all we need you to do, and all I need you to do, and all Jesus needs you to do, is simply just open your heart. Just open your heart. And here's the deal. No one can open your heart but you. And so Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you'll open, I'll come in. You say, how do I know he's knocking? Is your heart beating really fast? Maybe you're sweating. Maybe your palms are there. Maybe there's something inside of you going, man, I need this. And your head's going, are you crazy? What's wrong with you? You're nuts. Okay? Your head's not going to understand it. Jesus doesn't speak to your head. He speaks to your spirit. He speaks to the heart. And so we're just going to close this with a group prayer. And we want to invite you to be a part of this group prayer and just open your heart and ask Jesus to come. I'll lead the prayer. I'll do all the heavy lifting. All you got to do is just do, the in, just do the opening. Let's just pray this out together. Just say, Dear Jesus, I believe that you are Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I believe it. And so, Jesus, I open my heart to you. And I ask you to come in. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, need somebody to pray for you, pray over you, pray with you. We have a prayer team available for you and uh, just make your way over there and they'd be happy to pray for you, happy to bless you. If you got healing, you need healing, whatever it is, you got sickness in your body, what, anything like that, they will pray for you um, and they will bless you and please make yourself, um, uh, uh, afford yourself of that opportunity. Uh, and then lastly, I'm gonna bless you one more time. One more time, right? Don't be holy for a blessing. Receive the blessing one more time, right? Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may he be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.